0: Welcome to Defending Democracy, a weekly podcast from Democracy Docket where we discuss the top voting rights, election, and democracy news. On this episode, we're covering Ohio's new voter suppression law and the lawsuit that's already been filed to challenge it. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Elias.
1: And I'm Paige Moskowitz. Let's get started.
0: After a very contentious 2020 presidential election, We all saw Republican legislatures around the country pass new voter suppression laws in 2021 based on the big lies about voter fraud and irregularities spread by Donald Trump and his supporters. You may remember that there were major laws passed in states like Texas and Florida and Georgia, but it also happened in smaller states like Iowa, Arkansas, and Kansas, But curiously, one of the states that considered passing a law in 2021 that ultimately didn't was Ohio. But if we thought we escaped a voter suppression law coming to Ohio, no such luck. Because in the closing days of 2022, after the election was already over, Ohio lawmakers rushed to pass HB 458. This law attacks and limits the ways Ohioans cast their ballots based on the big lie and false claims of voter fraud. Now, if you thought that Mike DeWine was some kind of moderate, he wasn't. Unsurprisingly, on January 6th of all days, the Republican governor of Ohio signed this monstrosity of a law and enacted the first new major voter suppression law of the new year. I'm certain it won't be the last.
1: Before we dive into what's in the law, let's set the scene. Ohio's a state where many people choose to vote early, either in person or by mail. In the 2020 general election, Ohio's voter turnout level was at 74%, resulting in over 5.9 million ballots cast. Of those nearly 6 million votes, about 59% were cast early or by mail. In the 2022 general election, about 4.2 million ballots were cast. Leading up to election day, 1.6 million Ohioans had requested an early in-person or mail ballot. After the 2022 midterm elections, during the lame duck session... Ohio lawmakers took what was a 15-page bill modifying the special election schedule and turned it into a 147-page piece of legislation touching nearly every part of Ohio's election system. For years, Ohio officials have boasted that the Buckeye State is a gold standard in election administration and that their elections are run securely and efficiently. However, using baseless claims of voter fraud, Lawmakers rushed the bill through at the end of the session with limited debate and public comments, ultimately passing the bill in the dead of night when most Ohioans were sleeping. And on the two-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, Governor DeWine signed it into law. There's already litigation filed to challenge it, so let's go into exactly what HB 458 includes.
0: You know, Paige, before we get into the specifics, I think it's worth bearing in mind as you point out the the irregular process that this bill followed you know this was not a bill that was considered during the main of the legislative session and went through the public comment process and public hearings this was a bill that was rushed through as you point out at the last minute when people were not paying attention or when they hope people were not paying attention and you know we need to we need to keep in mind That when Republicans pass bills that they're ashamed of, nothing good is about to happen.
1: It's definitely not, especially in a bill like this. So, Mark, let's go through it. The biggest provision of HB 458, and the one people are talking about the most, is a provision that requires voters casting their ballot in person to present one of only four forms of photo ID to vote. An Ohio driver's license, an Ohio state ID, military ID, or a U.S. passport no other forms of photo ID are accepted. The law also removes a list of previously accepted and alternative IDs to vote, which included items like bank statements, utility bills, transcripts, and more that included a voter's name and address. The question that people are asking, Mark, is how do strict photo ID laws like this harm voters and who gets left behind?
0: Yeah, Paige, you you mentioned that this is the provision that is attracting the most attention. Uh, and it ought to attract attention, but the entire bill is bad. And I know we're going to talk about the other portions of the bill, but I want to start out by saying that the fact that the ID law is the most um, high profile doesn't mean that the other parts of the bill aren't equally as problematic. With respect to the ID portion, you know, I always start whenever a state enacts a new voting restriction by asking, what are they trying to do? right? It's easy, it's easy for supporters of the ID law to say, well, who doesn't have ID or how many people are just really disenfranchised by this? But let's flip it on its head, right? We start with the proposition that voting is a constitutional right. In fact, the Supreme Court has said it is the constitutional right that is preservative of all other rights. So if it is, in fact, the foundational right in our country, then let's start by asking the question, Why did we need a new, more restrictive ID law? Well, it's not because Ohio has pointed to instances where their current ID law was insufficient. In fact, Paige, it's interesting because you list uh, a number of, of IDs that can currently be used, which is because they currently have an ID law.
1: Right. Some people are thinking HB 458 is all or nothing in Ohio. Either Ohio has the strict photo ID provision or they have absolutely nothing. Ohio already has a requirement to provide ID when you vote. It just allows more than the four types of ID that are accepted under HB 458.
0: Right. So let's look at, with that in mind, what Ohio did here, and we can talk about who's harmed. So it already had an ID law, and it didn't have any history of problems with uh, with in-person voter fraud based on ID issues. So what it did is it removed a bank statement, a utility bill, and transcripts and some some others as sufficient ID. So why would you remove, for example, transcripts? Right. Why? Right. Transcripts are issued in Ohio by private colleges, but also by state universities. So these are official documents. These are not documents that are regularly subject to forgery. But yet they remove them. And it's interesting that they enumerated that because obviously the people who would be most likely to rely on a transcript would be students. Now, let's talk about an I.D. provision that's in the bill. In-state driver's licenses. So a lot of times I get a lot of Republicans or conservatives saying, well, you know, who doesn't have a driver's license? What's the problem with having an ID law that requires a driver's license? People have driver's licenses. Well, let's start with the fact that they specify in-state driver's licenses. Well, Paige, if you're just trying to prove that you are Paige Moskowitz, if that's all someone's trying to do, why does it matter what state issued the driver's license. I mean, there's no more reason to believe that Washington, D.C. issued fake driver's licenses than Texas or Ohio. So why are they requiring to be in-state driver's license? But what they're trying to do is to graft onto this ID requirement a significant hurdle and burden on people like students who might have identification, but which don't fit the profile of who Republicans want voting in their state. Now, who else might not have uh, uh, an in-state driver's license or a passport? People who live in cities, for example, are less likely to have cars. We know that minority voters are less likely to have in-state driver's licenses. So it becomes very, very clear that, as you say, this was not an all or nothing. This was not a does Ohio have an ID law or not. This was do they replace the existing ID law with an ID law that will target minority voters and young voters in particular to make it much, much harder for them to vote and for some of them to make it near impossible.
1: Mark, it's also important to remember that elderly voters oftentimes have expired driver's licenses. That's the that's the ID that they use, but this law specifically says that the ID needs to be unexpired.
0: Yeah, Paige, that's a really important um, point because this law also targets older voters. You know, I talked about the younger voters, but it also targets older voters. And Paige, we have some experience with this, right? We saw, you know, a lot of Republican legislatures talk big talk when it comes to, you know, the elderly. But as I recall, we saw in Texas, for example, Texas clamped down on the elderly's ability to, uh, I think it was in that case, vote by mail. So so Ohio, like these other states, you know, when it comes to older voters that they pay a lot of lip service to, they actually take steps that really harm those voters.
1: The next provision of the bill deals with ballot cure deadlines. It moves up the deadline for voters to cure provisional and rejected mail-in ballots from seven days to four days after election day. So what exactly does curing do And what does it mean for voters when you change that deadline?
0: Okay. So first of all, curing is just a term that lawyers and legislators use. What they really mean is fix, right? So you cast a mail-in ballot and the person who receives it thinks that the signature may not be yours. So they set it aside and aren't going to count it. Well, you are given the opportunity to come in and say, hey, no, no, that's my signature or or fix it or what's referred to as cure it. Same thing with provisional ballots. Provisional ballots are given to voters who show up to vote in person but for one reason or another, are not on the local voting rolls. They're not in the poll book. Now, there are any number of reasons why that can happen. Sometimes the voter made a mistake, but sometimes it's the state or the election officials who made a mistake. They couldn't find your name, but it was there, or it was not included, but it should have been. And so you're given a provisional ballot. You're allowed to vote, but that ballot is treated separately. And again, there is then an opportunity where you're notified of that and given an opportunity to cure it. So what... They did here was they they moved those deadlines and they ma- they made a a, uh, uh, a shortened deadline for that as well.
1: HB four five eight also targets mail in voting and mail in ballots, and one of the ways it does that is that it moves up the deadline to request an absentee ballot from three days to seven days before election day. And it moves the deadline for boards of election to accept mail-in ballots to receive sent and voted mail-in ballots from 10 days to four days after election day. And Mark, we've talked about this before, how moving that deadline, the receipt deadline, impacts one group of voters in particular.
0: Yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, it's really incredible because the biggest group that relies on that extended period to receive to have their ballots returned and received and counted our uh, military and overseas voters i mean this is literally a bill that is going to disenfranchise our men and women serving in uniform overseas as well as civilians who live overseas you know let's remember that we saw in the 2020 election and then in 2022 real issues page with the uh with the pace of mail delivery.
1: Right. Both from the USPS here domestically, but then when you add to the fact that military and overseas voters oftentimes have to use international mail services, which take even more time to pass mail along, it can lead to a real delay between when someone sends their ballot and when the elections office receives it.
0: Yeah. And just to be clear, Paige, there's no question these ballots are cast before election day. Right. They, no one's saying that people should be allowed to vote after Election Day. This is a question of having voted and, and returned your ballot by mail, you know, whether or not the ballot will be counted based on when it's received. And again, you have to look at these provisions in their totality. Right. I said that the ID law is really important, but it but but so are these other provisions. When you combine. The the change in the deadline to request a mail-in ballot and you shorten the period after the election where mail-in ballots can be accepted, you're sort of squeezing the voter from both ends, right? You're squeezing them from both ends. And then when you shorten the cure deadline, you are putting yet another hurdle in place. And, and the thing about this page is that None of these provisions make it easier for the state of Ohio or their counties to administer the election. You know, the argument you always hear from states is, well, we made these changes because it's easier for the state and the counties and the local election officials to run elections. There's nothing easier about the ID law change. I mean, they made it harder, frankly. Right, they create they created more uncertainty and more tumults at the uh, at the check-in table than there was when they had the broader list of IDs. And changing these deadlines doesn't make it any easier on the county officials to send out absentee ballots or to count the ones that are received. All they're doing is making is increasing the number of absentee ballots that will be rejected and the number of absentee and provisional ballots that won't be counted or uncured.
1: Continuing on with the attacks of mail-in voting and states saying that they're doing things to, make things to make it easier for county officials to administer elections, another provision of HB 458 restricts county boards of elections from operating more than one dropbox in a county or from allowing voters to use that drop box outside of the board's office hours.
0: Yeah, I have to say, I... I, I I continue to be astounded at the unmitigated shamelessness of Republicans and their war on drop boxes. I mean, drop boxes are just secure metal containers into which a mail in ballot can be returned to the election official. You know what that sounds like, Paige? It sounds like a mailbox. Because it is, it's like a secure metal mailbox without the uncertainty of it going through the Postal Service and going on trucks and through mail sorting machines. It literally is the most secure way for someone to return a mail-in ballot. So why on earth would you cut down and put in place these absurd restrictions on drop boxes? other than to dissuade people from returning their mail-in ballot and having them return late because you've now shortened the deadlines for people to return their ballots. You know, Paige, this gained a lot of currency or a lot of interest on the right at the same time that Louis DeJoy was made the postmaster general, right? We all saw what that led to. And it's no coincidence that when you look at who is most relying on Dropboxes, I mean, who who needs Dropboxes? Well, first of all, remember those college students that can't use their transcripts anymore and can't use their out-of-state driver's license to vote? Well, it turns out students rely a lot on Dropboxes. Actually, young people in general tend to rely on Dropboxes because, Paige, I hate to say it, but... You probably don't have a roll of stamps in your in your top desk drawer.
1: I have so many. I I have USPS merch. I'm a big fan of the USPS. I have a lot Is of stamps. Is that right? Yeah, they're huh. 19th amendment themed.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, most people your age, I bet you I bet I bet you Sophie Feldman uh, who does all of those wonderful TikTok videos for us. I bet you she doesn't have stamps. And the fact is, young voters tend to use the mail service less than older voters. And when people are on campuses and they don't have cars and other ways, you know, having Dropbox is really helpful. The the other thing that you mentioned here uh in this rule is that they're still allowing some dropboxes, right, Paige?
1: Right. But it's only one per county. And one. as we've talked about before, right, this one size fits all voting measures doesn't allow officials who know their communities to actually serve voters effectively. So for example, let's take Franklin County where Columbus is, Ohio state capital and the most populous city. They have 1.3 million residents compared to Adams County, which has fewer than 30,000 residents. Both can only have one dropbox. And I'm sure county officials would tell you that they need a very different number of dropboxes between those two counties. And those officials might also tell you that one dropbox isn't enough for either.
0: Yeah, and this is a place where you can see the harm being done to voters of all ages, but particularly older voters, and also um, voters who tend to live in cities, right? A lot of older voters... You know they they don't if they drive they don't want to drive long distances to find a drop box right they're not even in a rural county uh where there's not as much population it's it it is a burden for for them but it is a particular burden and i think this is not unintentional i think we all have to acknowledge that the the idea of there being one drop box in uh in franklin county and one Dropbox in Adams County. Well, what is Franklin County? It's very democratic. It has the largest urban centers in the state. It has the largest diverse population in the state, the largest number of black voters. And remember, when we talked about the ID law, we talked about the impact that that would have on people who lived in more densely populated areas and cities the impact that that would have on minority voters. Well, now you add the Dropbox piece and you can see what's going on here. They're burdening both in-person voting and people who want to vote by by mail by using a Dropbox. And you have to look at these provisions holistically. They were passed as a package for a reason. They were passed as a package for a reason because they all work together to make it harder to vote in Ohio. To make it harder for everyone to vote in Ohio, particularly the very youngest voters, the very oldest voters, and minority voters. And this law should not stand.
1: Mark, the last provision of HB 458 that we'll talk about, and probably the easiest to understand in terms of how it harms voters, is that the law eliminates the Monday before election day as an early voting day.
0: So, having Paige said that the entire bill is important, I would argue that this provision may be the most important provision in a very important bill. <laughs> or put it out of way, this may be the worst provision in a very bad bill. Uh, because getting rid of any day of voting harms voters, period. Shortening the time that voters can go to the polls harms voters, period. I mean, Paige, we saw this in Georgia, right, in the runoff election uh, for Senate. We saw... Republicans in that state try to prohibit early voting on a single Saturday after Thanksgiving. Now, in full disclosure, my law firm was involved in bringing that litigation. And ultimately, the courts agreed that there should be voting available on that day. And, Paige, the results were dramatic.
1: Right. We saw nearly 70,000 Georgians across 27 some odd counties cast their ballot just on that Saturday.
0: Yeah, 70,000 voters. Think about that. 70,000 people who were able to vote because a single day more was provided to them. And Paige, voting is a habit. You know, people always ask me, like, what's the best form of voting? You know, is it mail-in voting? Is it early voting? Is it election day voting? I always say there is no one best way to vote. It's whatever the voter prefers. And that's because people build habits. Some people really want to vote by mail, and they should be able to. But early voting is a habit. And early voting in Ohio, as you pointed out, is a habit. You know, there's a long history of Republicans trying to tinker with early voting in Ohio for partisan gain. There's a long history of them targeting vulnerable communities and communities of color in how they they attack early voting. And so taking away that Monday before election day will have a dramatic impact on a lot of voters who have come to rely on that as a critical part of their plan for voting. You know, Paige, the hypocrisy here of the national Republicans and the state Republicans is astounding. We heard so much rhetoric from them about how they don't like mail-in voting because people should have to experience the entire campaign and all of the ups and downs and all of the endless television commercials. And and all of the door knocking and then cast their ballot on election day. Well, so here is a state that's allowing early vote the Monday before the election. And that's the day they target. That's the day they target. And so this to me is a very, very bad bill. And this provision is a very, very bad provision. So Mark, taken all
1: together... The provisions of HB 458 is attacking many of the ways Ohioans cast their ballot. That is early, either in person or by mail, and it's putting more pressure on in-person voting. But you have to know, Ohio, for many years, has had issues with long lines on Election Day.
0: Yeah, Paige, I have a lot of experience with this. I have a lot of experience with this. In 2004, in the presidential election, I represented Senator Kerry in that presidential campaign. There were lines to vote as long as 12 hours long. Think about that. 12 hours. Imagine showing up to vote at 6 or 7 p.m. and being there till 6 or 7 a.m. Okay? Okay. It disenfranchised an estimate of 174,000 voters. As I recall, the entire election hinged in that state on about 80-some-odd thousand votes. And, you know, for people who don't remember that far back, Ohio used to be the swing state in our presidential elections. In 2004, the presidency of the United States came down to who won Ohio. And you had these terrible, terrible long lines. And we saw them after that. We saw them in the, in the subsequent elections. In, on election day in 2022, there were some polling sites that had waiting times of over an hour. Again, in predominantly uh, dense, diverse parts of the state. And so when you want to tackle the problem of long lines, you want to incentivize people to vote by mail. This does, this bill does the opposite. You want to make the voting experience familiar and have the lines move quickly. The new ID laws do the opposite of that. Everything about this bill will create longer lines, Page. Everything about this bill will create longer lines, and I suspect that is part of the point.
1: So we've gone over why this bill is bad and how it harms voters, so let's talk about the litigation Very soon after Governor DeWine signed the bill, a lawsuit was filed to challenge HB 458.
0: Yeah. In full disclosure, my law firm is behind that lawsuit. Uh, We represent a group of nonprofit organizations, including the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless, the Ohio Federation of Teachers, uh, the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans, and the Union Veterans Council. That last organization, by the way, Paige, represents... uh, uh, veterans and we talked about the uh, the p- provisions that target the military and the lawsuit that has been brought challenges HB 458 as violating the Constitution by imposing unjustified and discriminatory burdens on the right to vote and as I said earlier there is no right that is more fundamental in our country in our constitution than the right to cast one's ballot and have that ballot counted accurately And, you know, Paige, there's not even a shred of a reason to impose these burdens on the right to vote. Right. We
1: saw statements from officials praising the bill that tried to offer some explanation for it. But the the fact is, is that there is no justification. Governor Mike DeWine said, quote, I have long believed that Ohio does a good job of administering elections, end quote, if you're saying your state does a good job, if you and other officials have called your state the gold standard in election administration, why then do you need new restrictions to limit the ways that people can vote if what you're already doing is what everyone else should be doing?
0: And how many Republican governors and state officials have we seen now call their their laws, their states, the gold standard and then pass voter suppression laws? Kemp? said that Georgia was the gold standard. You know, DeSantis said that Florida had the best system. Iowa, they were covelling and covelling about what a wonderful voting system they had in Iowa. And then at the same time, they were passing a new voter suppression law.
1: Mike, we've seen those same officials in those states say that there is no voter fraud in their states, right? Their election systems are so secure, so good. There's no voter fraud. And then turn around and say... Voter fraud and election integrity is such an issue. We need these new restrictions. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say there is no fraud. Our laws as is are great. And then say there is voter fraud. So we need all of these new restrictions.
0: Yeah, but look, these are the same people who brought us the redistricting fiasco in Ohio. Right? I mean, Governor DeWine and Secretary LaRose were part of the the willful uh, defiance of state court orders and state constitutional provisions requiring fair maps.
1: Right. We saw Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose issue a statement on HB 458 saying, quote, we are once again showing Ohioans that we take their concerns seriously and are dedicated to continuously improving our elections, end quote. But as you pointed out, Both DeWine and LaRose were on the commission that ignored the voter approved constitutional amendments to end partisan gerrymandering in Ohio and to make legislative districts more fair.
0: Yeah, I thought that his decision to include the word again.
1: Right. It's not again. You've been in court for the past year (laughs) because you aren't following voters concerns.
0: Yeah, he could have just as well left out the again because uh, the the his behavior in the redistricting context was uh, was appalling. Well, as I said, my law firm has already filed the first lawsuit against HB 458. Uh, it's very likely I assume that there will be other litigation against this law to follow. And we need to pay attention to this. you know, there was a lot of energy in 2021. Uh, in following what was happening in Texas with the walkout over their voter suppression law in Georgia. But people need to pay attention to what's happening in Ohio because this isn't right. This isn't fair. This isn't what our democracy calls for.
1: And Mark, as litigation is filed against this voter suppression law and any others, Democracy Docket will continue to keep you up to date via our website and newsletters on this litigation and more.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Defending Democracy. To find out more and stay up to date on the latest voting rights, elections, and democracy news, visit democracydocket.com and subscribe to our free newsletters. We'll see you next time. Today's episode was produced by Paige Moskowitz and Sophie Feldman. It was edited by Paige Moskowitz with help from Sophie Feldman. Defending Democracy is a production of Democracy Docket, LLC.